Welcome to All the Things with Monique Dusan from the Center for Biblical Unity and theology mom, Krista Bontrager. And now, here's Krista and Monique. Hello. Hello. Welcome to Saturday night. I am Monique Dusan. And I'm Krista Bontrager, also known as Theology Mom. This is All the Things, the show where we talk about all the things related to God, the Bible, and real life. And we are helped every week on the show by the one and only Bob Bontrager. Whoop, whoop, whoop. The professional button pusher. Not in order to be a professional button pusher, you have to not only know how to push the buttons, you have to know the correct order yes. in the timing of pushing the buttons. It's a lot that goes into putting It really the is. Yeah. I mean, yes. we would not be doing this if it wasn't for Bob. That's for sure. Now, when this show airs, we are actually going to be traveling. So we're so on So we tape. are not live. We are not live. But... You can still jump in and watch the show, share the show, support the show by making a comment, uh, hitting that thumbs up, and uh, sharing the show with a friend. Yes, that is how you can support our show. Yes. Awesomeness. I think okay. I think it's interesting as we're on the road more right now in this season, a lot of people are like, I'm nervous about sharing the show on my social media, but I'll send it as an email to somebody. I'll send it in a DM to somebody. And that's totally fine too. Just helping us get the word out. And it really is pretty amazing. Like how many people are interacting with our content, giving our horrible social media numbers. Well, I think more importantly than just like doing it for numbers, I think getting truth out. You know, one of the things that we have conversations about a lot is, you know, people, people who say, wow, I never knew this or I never heard this. And it's important to get truth out. Yeah. That's the goal. The goal, you know, social media will block us or yeah. ban us or, you know, social media is going to do what it what it does. But how do we bring tr- the truth of scripture and historic Christianity to people who really need it? Well, this is one avenue by which you can do that. And this show is brought to you by the Center for Biblical Unity. And Theology Mom Podcast. And Family 210 Clothing. Yes, where you can go and get your Created to Rain t-shirt, along with t-shirts from the Center for Biblical Unity and all of our designs from Family 210. Yeah, just go to family210.com and look for the designs there designed by our family. And $10 of each sale goes to help us. Yes. So what's been happening with you? Well, goodness, we had up conference last weekend. No, oh. weekend before last. A few weeks ago now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, okay, I haven't been here since yeah. up conference. Yeah. So, right after up conference, we flew out to Atlanta. We were at Impact 360. And from there, I think I was home for a day yeah. before I flew to Austin to speak at the Wilberforce Weekend on the Road Conference. So I was in Austin, and you guys talked to Nancy Piercy. You and yeah. my Auntie Elisa talked to Nancy Piercy without me. I'm not It jealous. was a party. I'm sure it was. I am <laughs> sure it was. And then we were dark last weekend because we had um, Stan to Reason Reality Conference with Greg Kokel, and so we were both there. Yeah, so you're on the Reality Conference tour. Yes. So that was the first stop was in Orange County. In October, people can look for you in Seattle, and then in November, you'll be in 
the Twin Cities in Minneapolis. So come find us on the reality tour. Yes. So if you have a teenager... You want to borrow your neighbor's teenager, do whatever you, you got to do. You know what? You don't even have to have a teenager. So I was, I saw a woman sitting down and I just spoke to her and she said, you know, I love this conference. I'm 60 and I never realized it was just for teens. I said, you go girl, you come <laughs> on. She said she was new to following Stan to Reason. Yeah. And so when she got the advert for it, she was like, I'm going to sign up for this. I need these topics. Yes. And she was so excited to be there. So Yes, it is for teens. You might need earplugs, but it is awesome. <laughs> it, I, I, what I love about the conference is that it's really leading teens through a lot of conversations that are connecting their faith with real life, which yes. is why they call it the reality conference. Mm-hmm. So like there's a session on suicide. There's conversations on abortion, homosexuality, race, uh, race, um, you know, just topics that are facing teens. Yeah. Our friend Natasha Crane is there talking to parents. Well, she uh, was there in, in Orange County. She will yeah. not be at the other. Oh, stops. she's not going to be at the other no. stops. Okay. No, All right. You missed it. If, if you didn't get to Orange County, you missed Natasha. Yeah. Boy, she be coming with the fire. <laughs> so it's a good time. So go check it out. Yes. All right. So you ready to get into the topic? Yes. I'm looking forward to this conversation. Well, I think it's going to be good. We've entitled the show God's plan to solve our racial identity crisis maybe tell let's talk about why we're doing this as a topic like there's no guest it's just no, us just us yeah just us sharing our thoughts folks well i think one of the reasons why we're talking about this is the conversation of identity in general and how one of the questions that i believe christians and especially young people um christian or not are being asked is who are you you know, do you know who you are? And I think we can, you know, look at that conversation back to the, you know, take that all the way back to the garden. But the question of who are you and what is your identity is really important in this current cultural moment. And as we look at it through the lens of race, you know, are you white? Are you black? Are mm. you, what are you? How Biracial. do you identify? Yeah. And then when you acknowledge how you identify, you are automatically usually categorized into a bucket. Yeah. And so bringing some some biblical sense and wisdom to the conversation of identity is really important so that we can approach culture from a position of understanding the biblical truth. Now, you and I have given some version of these ideas, I don't know, 20, 30 times this year in different venues, different age ranges, women's conference, teen conference. But by and large, these are the themes that keep coming up. So we thought, hey, this would make a good show, like equip more people to to have these discussions. I think an interesting way that we often start the discussion is by asking people, you know, what are you hearing? on social media, mainstream media, if we're doing a youth version of it, you know, at your school with your peers, what are people saying about you? Yeah. What are the labels Mm -hmm. that they're they're putting on you? What are some of the more memorable labels that you could think of that we've had this year? I think I've heard some pretty depressing ones. Yeah. Um, Gosh, the the ordinary ones come up, white privileged or white supremacist, but there was one by a young person just a couple of weeks ago, um, I think it was like 
a awful white POS. Yeah. And I was like, wow, okay, we haven't heard that one. Um, or, and, and many of these come directly from white students or white adults, especially in the conversation that we're having right now yeah. in culture with racism. But, you know, I, I've heard, um, like, victim from students of color or from Thug people. Thug yeah. was one that came up. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, just always angry. Yes. I think, uh, gosh, this weekend I heard that... I heard from an Asian woman and she said, you know, we don't have any, like we're, we're either the model minority that that was what she said, the model minority, or we're completely overlooked altogether. Left out of the conversation. Yeah. 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 That's really good. And so when we're thinking about this discussion of identity, we've found it's really helpful to start with. All right, let's just, Put it on the table. What are what are the words? What are the mm-hmm. labels that culture is calling us, everyone in the room, and understanding that culture calls us all names. Yes, and <laughs> it doesn't no, matter. There's no need to shy away from yeah. the reality of the conversations that we're all seeing. Yeah. So let's put it out there on the table, and let's just let's just put it out there. Yeah. Are you seeing the same thing I'm seeing? Because this is what I'm seeing. Yeah, and I think that. The culture is also really sending a strong message to people now that they can just define themselves any kind of way that they want, you know, mm-hmm. especially in the the gender conversation of you can define, redefine yourself because everything is can be deconstructed and reconstructed. Yes, yes. I think it was probably a couple of months ago now where I sat with Elizabeth Urbanovitz during one of our family meetings and talked about how young people are being encouraged to redefine themselves as early as like age five or six to select their pronouns, to choose whether or not they are a boy or a girl or something else. So this is just an example of how culture invites us to redefine ourselves, redefine our identity, or is seeking to speak an identity over us that we don't find in scripture. That's really good. So then when we think about from a Christian perspective, we think of the word identity you know, um, we try to define it as an identity is what God declares over us. It's something that he says is true of us in a declarative sense. Yes. It's an objective truth. It's not based on our feelings. It's not based on um, our our sin, our our lived experiences. It's something that is objectively true I about tend us. to say it's the way that God defines us. That is our core identity. Okay. So then often what we do is we have people, depending on what audience we do this in, and we give them a list, list of scriptures of who does God say you were? Yes. Apart from him. Mm-hmm. And that's an interesting discussion maybe we could should talk about like a few of the things that commonly come up in that yeah i think we were separated from god Mm. not part of the covenant um created in god's image male or female um 
I think I said separated. We were um, dead in our trespasses. So there, there are a number of things that come up that describe who we were apart from Christ. But I think it's interesting to realize that we were still, even apart from Christ, even for the non-believer today, they are still created male or female, created in God's image, created to work, created as social beings. Genesis yeah. 1 doesn't go away. Yeah. Genesis 1 is still as true today as it was when it was written. Yeah, and that that, spoken. that leads us right into like what we call kind of our first identity, which is our creation identity. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we have a little slide sort of summarizing some of these big picture points, help people follow the conversation, is our creation identity is our identity as human beings as defined by God from the beginning. And I love how you, how you say that is that, you know, it's looking at it scripturally because I think so often in our cultural work, we quickly relegate to what's culture saying I am. What do my emotions say? What does my mm-hmm. lived experience say? So, um, so a lot of the things that you just said kind of on the slide here is we're created, we're created in the image of God. We're male or female. We're created to get married and procreate, created to work, social creatures, but also fallen creatures. Yes, and we always highlight that, no, we weren't created fallen. Fallen, sinful is not part of our creation identity. However, sin impacts everyone beyond Adam and Eve. And so maybe our procreated identity, (laughs) like our identity post-fall narrative, post-fall identity is that we are all impacted by sin, but it was not part of our Genesis 1 identity. Yeah, God's original plan. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. And I think what's so interesting to me about this list is how much our culture is drifting from these things. Like our creation identity is so under assault right now mm-hmm. in the culture. I mean, you just look at that list right there and you think immediately like the what we call identity theft that's happening, you know, that marriage is being redefined. Divorce rates are, are continuing to escalate um, the redefinition of, sex and gender and that confusion, hookup culture, porn culture, mm-hmm. um, even like the pressure now for young people to not have as many children and the whole control um, of even some world government entities to control how many children you have. All of these go right to our creation identity. Yeah. And so there almost is a sense of like, if you just show up and you do these things, you're already engaged in like an alternative lifestyle. Yeah, definitely. No, I think that's really important. Um, understanding because we, what we say on our podcast and what we say in trainings is that parents need to understand that raising your kids countercultural is where we mm. should be moving into and and how we should be teaching kids that the culture is going to tell you to do one thing but as Christians we do something that's different we follow the words of scripture and what you're saying is are um like the list of how we can begin to train children to live counterculturally yeah. work yeah get married you know um have kids have kids and wait till till you're married to have kids yeah these are things that are countercultural believe in sex you yeah. know, like, and when I say sex, I mean male or female, female yeah. compared to gender, which could be male, female, tree, they, yeah. you know, whatever. 
And I think, you know, being married to one person, I kind of have made a prediction multiple times on social media that I think polygamy is going to be kind of the next frontier, Mm -hmm. polyamory. So being married, staying married, being married to one person, these are all going to start to be very peculiar in our culture. And so just showing up and living in your creation identity, all of those things that we listed out, you will be countercultural. Yes. You you are the em- very embodiment of the alternative lifestyle. Mm-hmm. So we're going to have to parent our kids and disciple our church members from that position. Yes. And it's so it's so bizarre to me like how much our creation identity is under attack, but I think people really need to grab hold of of that. Yeah, I think um, it's important to understand too why Genesis 1 is so important. Genesis 1 is important because that's the foundation for everything else. Yeah. Like Genesis 1 is our setup. If Genesis 1 isn't true, then Genesis 3 doesn't matter. And so we have to be able to, to really ground kids in a Genesis 1 narrative. This is who God says about you. But if what God says about you isn't true, then what does it matter if the fall happens or not, if sin is real or not? Because what God already spoke about me isn't true. Yeah. Now, the next thing that we do is we go into another small group discussion. Yeah. And we look at who or what does scripture say about me after receiving Christ or what is, what does it say about my identity after salvation? Yeah. And so this kind of leads us to our second identity, if you will, of being a child of God is our, what we call our salvation Mm -hmm. identity. And this is, I think a helpful clarification and our identity as children of God, because I think there's, there's a conflation that happens in a lot of progressive circles that we're all children of God. Yes. And that's actually a, a designation that is reserved for Christians. Yes, for those who believe in his name, according to John 1, 12. And, you know, it's funny when when I mention, hey, you know, in your creation identity, all people are created in the image of God. And yet John says, go read it in John 1, 12, that there's a specific distinction or a name given to those who believe on the name of Jesus that they shall be called the children of God. So not every image bearer or person who bears the image of God is actually a child of God. Yeah. People normally gasp. Like, like I just said something heretical. Read it, people. It's in, it's in the text. Yeah. So if you're thinking about just that Venn diagram, like, all humans are created in the image of God, but then a subset mm-hmm. within that are the children of God. And so when we as Christians are thinking about ourselves, we want to reflect and meditate on our creation identity and all that God's design has for us uh, as human persons, but then also to reflect on our identity as his children. And so we've got a little slide here kind of summarizing some of those major concepts. So this is a good summary of some of the major scriptures about salvation identity. We got children of God right there at the top. I know adoption is one of your favorites. Yeah. I love my Ephesians verses, Ephesians one and two. And then we're forgiven. We're no longer defined by our sinful nature, our past sins, uh, no longer separated from God. We have the assurance of spending eternity in heaven. We are obedient I think these are all things that flow out of our salvation identity. Um, Where do you see this as being particularly important in the conversation about race issues? 
Well, to me, I think um, the Ephesians 1, you know, that we are all adopted and, and the language of Ephesians as brothers and sisters and heirs and things like that. Like, that's not for one group. And I also think that, um, you know, the fact that as we see in James, that we don't show favoritism to one another. God doesn't show favoritism toward us and we don't show favoritism toward one another. That's because we're brothers and sisters. Like parents don't, they shouldn't anyway, show favoritism (laughs) toward their children. God doesn't show favoritism toward us Mm -hmm. regardless of the melanin we have in our skin. And, you know, in the church, we don't show favoritism toward others based on melanin count either. And so I think that's super important. And then I think the second Corinthians five passage is very important as well, because we're not holding um, someone's sins against them. We're not holding their past against them. When we come into, into the family of faith or into Christ, that old man gets left behind. I no longer regard you according to your old man. And so I think those are important conversations um, and themes in the body of Christ. Culture is going to kind of do what culture wants to do. But, you know, in the body of Christ, in the church, there are certain, I would dare say, expectations that I should be able to have is that, no, my sins are not going to be, you know, I'm not going to be be regarded or judged according to my old man because now I'm in Christ. And I also can expect that I'm not going to receive like ethnic favoritism or ethnic essentialism within the church. Yeah, we're going to talk more about that very important point here in a minute. I think what's sad to me is the identity theft that comes into the church Mm -hmm. when it tells us that, well, there's more work that has to be done in order to be reconciled, you know, um, that there's something kind of defective about our relationship. You know, being brothers and sisters isn't enough. It's Mm -hmm. Jesus's work isn't enough. Um, And then there's, you know, kind of, and we're going to get into this, but the complicated conversation of race and culture and you know, blackness, whiteness, all of that, when those things start being put forward as a primary identity, mm-hmm. that causes a lot of confusion in the household of faith. Yeah, because your primary identity um, after receiving salvation is as a child of God. Right. So all of those other identities take a back seat, so yeah. to speak. But we'll talk more about that. Yeah. And I I think it's always interesting, though, when I'm noticing this this pattern when we do this talk, um, one of the questions we almost always get is, yeah, but you're telling me how to get along with Christians. I want to know how to have unity with, with the world. Yes. And there's some verses in the, in the Bible that talk about (laughs) unity with the world. But I think it's always interesting. It's like, well, maybe we should focus on just trying to live in the, the reality of the unity that's already been secured for us as the household of faith before we start jumping immediately to how do I do this in the world? But the short answer is you, you act as a Christ follower, no matter where you are. Yes. I think, um, you don't necessarily expect them to reciprocate as a non-believer, but yeah. Well, I think part of it is like, can the church talk about unity within the church? Exactly. You know what I mean? Like, we want to jump to how do I drive on the freeway? Well, it's like, well, you haven't mastered even putting your car in drive yet. Yeah. Like, how do we 
talk and 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 work out unity and do the Ephesians four within the church. All of a sudden, I want to hop to the world and how do I get unity and reconciliation with the world? Well, one, you have no ju- jurisdiction over culture, so says Paul. Yeah. But then also, you know, unity with the world is, is something that we don't strive to attain because it's a different world. It's a different worldview. It's different assumptions, mm-hmm. different beliefs. And that is going to be what we call an evangelism discussion. Yeah, we can talk about how do I evangelize to a secular culture? How do I evangelize to people who don't know God? But when we say we want to have unity, especially the unity that the scriptures are talking about, that's something that we don't strive toward. Yeah, that's good. Now, a third kind of area that you and I have had so many conversations about this year is where do we fit things like regional origin, ethnicity, skin color, family origin, uh, our socioeconomic status? Like, where, what? How do we describe that? And and is that an identity? Is it something else? And we've experimented with a lot of different ways of explaining it this year. So right now we're kind of trying on and at least temporarily settling into using the term of providence, Mm -hmm. providential provisions. You know, these are the things that God just sets up the time and the place where we're born. And I think we have a little summary here. Yeah. God's placement of our life in a particular time, a place, a family heritage, ethnic heritage, language, socioeconomic status, all these things that we don't have a say over. Mm -hmm. We just, you were born into South LA. I was born into the suburbs of LA. We were both born into situations with single moms and, you know, just all of those things that, that came with each of our family origin and the culture and all of that. We're kind of putting that under the umbrella of Providence right now. Yeah. And we say Providence because it is part or it can be part of God's provision for ministry, part of God's provision for life. I think we started this conversation of providence and looking at skin color. Well, yeah. is skin color an identity? Yeah. I know that some people would say yes. I think I take a different stand on that. I believe that God allowed varying skin colors as he allowed migration. You know, I think it's um, Acts 16 or 17, 17. Um, It says, from one man, he made all the nations that they would inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. And so to me, when I look at from one man, he made all the nations, that one man is Adam. So there was something within Adam already that allowed for the migration of people to occur. That was providentially put in place by God so that humanity didn't die out. That's a providential provision. That doesn't necessarily mean that just because I have black skin, all people with black skin now have a certain identity. Yeah, let's get into that a little bit and and kind of the hard work of decoupling some things of skin color or race from culture, from ethnicity, you know, and thinking about each of those things in its own right. Because I think that you're right, like oftentimes race, culture, and ethnicity get collapsed on top of each other. And then the conversation can become very confusing. So maybe uh, like a good place to start is with 
how is race defined by the census, like the government agency? Yeah. So race, there's five, I believe there's five different classes of race categories. And so you have like Native American or Alaskan Indian, um, you ha- or Alaskan Native, I'm sorry. Um, you have black, you have Asian, Asian, you have Hispanic. Yeah. And then I believe you have Actually, white. Hispanic is not a race. I found this out. And it's going to come up in ethnicity. Um, according to the Census Bureau. So we're just using like the common cultural understanding of what race is. So we're going to just use the government as as a standard. But it's interesting. They just really have five buckets. You know, it's white, black, Asian, Pacific Islander and um, native. Yes. So, you know, first peoples type of thing. So it's it's interesting. I think Hispanic, does Hispanic fall under white? Yeah, well, yeah. it's its own thing. We'll get there uh-huh. in, in the ethnicity. Yes. So I should know this. I studied yeah. sociology. <laughs> so then it's when been a we, while, people. When we think about critical race theory and what it tells us about race, it's telling us that race is kind of a what we call a social construct. To which I agree. So maybe give us like a little thumbnail of what critical race theory tells us about race as a social construct. What does that term mean? That as a social construct, it was created by white people to be able to maintain um, social hierarchies or class hierarchies based on skin color. So the darker the skin, the worse off you were considered or, you know, the the lighter, the better in skin color. And so we would find agreement there, um, with them that that's just like this that's made up it's just a cultural fiction that we all sort of participate Mm -hmm. in on some level of making these distinctions between skin color when really all we're talking about is micro adaptation yeah physical micro small changes now we don't agree with you know that the whiter the skin, the better. But we do agree that race was a social construct. It was yeah. created as such. So I think that I have, I think I sent Bob a little map here um, that's sort of helpful. So I have in the red circle there, roughly where the Garden of Eden was, mm-hmm. you know, according to scripture. And we see at the, the if we look at Africa, you know, the, the darker skin near the equator, lighter skin is up more in the north. And so if humans started out there somewhere in Northeast Africa, Mesopotamia, and we did a whole show with our friend Fuzrana about like all the science mm-hmm. behind this. This is just the quick and dirty kind of <laughs> diagram here. But over time through micro adaptations, there was these changes to optimize people's body temperature for the purpose of survival. Yeah. You know, and that is, is, pretty well established and really helpful to understand, but also gives us insight into like, let's not attach more meaning mm-hmm. to skin color than we ought. It, this is yes. just a physical trait. Yes. Because if I'm remembering that show correctly, you know, many people would say that you and I are very different potentially biologically because there's such vast distinction in our skin color. Well, we actually are more alike than a a set of blacks, I believe in like Aboriginal Australia versus a black American. There's more um, biological or distinctions um, within our DNA 
within the black, those two black groups, you and I are actually more biologically similar, yeah. even though our skin colors don't show it. And, and there was a thought a hundred years ago that black people and white people were actually different species. Yes. And, and that was a whole show we did with our friend Joe Miller on scientific racism. And it was just kind of this pseudo-scientific way of trying to think about race. But I think what's important from a biblical point of view is that within Adam was the potential for all of these micro-adaptations. Yes. And we're all the descendants of Adam and Eve. And as you like to say, that makes us all kind of distant cousins, you know? And so in our creation identity, there is that aspect to it. Now, when we reflect on skin color, it's also interesting to think about the fact that the Bible doesn't lead with that. Like, that's not how it describes people as an essential trait. Mm-hmm. It, 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 it really focused more on region, regional origin, um, which we'll get to in a minute. But I think that our culture has trained us, the identity theft that our culture trains us to engage in is that's almost the first thing I see about you Yes, is that you're black. And then the first thing you see about me is that I'm white. And then a whole bunch of assumptions lie underneath that. Mm-hmm. I would agree. Yeah. And I think that that goes far beyond what the Bible is laying out as a biblical worldview about race. Yeah, I, I think so too. And I, I don't think we ever see in scripture. Well, you know, um, I believe it was Miriam was from Cush, and now because Miriam is from no Moses' wife, Moses' wife, uh, yeah, thank Zipporah. you. What's her name? Zipporah. Yeah, Zipporah was from Cush, and because Zipporah was from Cush, um, all of these things now follow, and that's what they they it it you know it must mean about her. She was a racist. Miriam mm-hmm. was a racist and didn't like her because of her black skin. Well, the text doesn't actually say yes. that. It's more of a regional issue that Cushite, mm-hmm. you know, so. and 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 being. Um, like highlighting the regional issues can mean certain things. Yes. You know, like we see Abraham was from whatever, or, 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 the, or, or the, the Chaldeans. Chaldeans. Yeah. And he was worshiping the moon. Yeah. Well, that regional distinction helps us to understand what the worship was like yeah. then. So we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about that. And I think that's where it gets tricky because like we want to collapse all of these things. So, you know, when talking about race, we're just merely talking about the physical trait, mm-hmm. skin color, melanin, you know, all of this. And yet there's this beautiful part in Psalm 139 that he's knit us together in our mother's yes. womb. And that that is part of the uniqueness of each of us as individuals. And so we're not Gnostics. We don't deny the physical reality of the differences of our skin color. We look at that as being created by God. It's just we want to be careful of not attaching the meaning to it mm-hmm. that our culture does. Yeah. Is that, do you think that's yeah, I think where that's you're fair. at I, in, I, the, in this whole journey? <laughs> yeah, I think that that's fair that um, God has, I would say, through his providence, allowed the times, places, and spaces of people and the spaces or or places where my people may have originated 
allowed for darker skin yeah. or or needed darker skin in order to for us to be able to survive. Right. That was his providence. Now, as as black people continue to participate in Genesis one in their creation identity, that providential identity or not even identity, but that providence providential provision continues on. Yeah, that's good. I think another form of identity theft I often see when it comes to race is when we talk to uh, in our travels, when we talk to white people, they often use the phrase, well, I'm just a white person. And it, that to me, that phraseology automatically reveals their hand that they've bought in on some level mm-hmm. to the cultural narrative of being white is a less than it's mm-hmm. a, it's a demeaning state. And we're always kind it of doesn't have culture. Yeah. There's no ethnic connection to it. Yeah. yeah. So we're always challenging people gently like, Hey, don't, don't say that over yourself. Like that's not how God thinks about you. You're just a white person. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. Mm-hmm. You know, God loves you and um, that you're created in his image. And so even just that little simple phraseology, you know, it can it it, it needs to be renewed according to the yeah. truth of, of Scripture. So. All right. So then so we're looking at race kind of the second issue we want to look at and kind of decoupling these things is culture. Let's let's think about culture and. And it's even difficult sometimes to define culture. So maybe we can talk about different aspects of culture. What what is that really? So when we look at culture, we're looking at the norms, the mores, the belief systems, the art, the language, Mm. um, the the normativity, things that are considered normative within a society. These are the things that help to build a culture. And it can even be like unspoken attitudes, yes. tastes of like, this is how we like our food. Mm-hmm. It, it might be rituals or habits, like a very simple ritual we have in our cultures, singing happy birthday, you know, yes. or celebrating Christmas this way, you know, mm-hmm. hanging up Christmas lights. These are shaking hands. Yes. You and, know, those are our eye contact that could be part of our culture. It's not a part of every culture. So it's things that we almost assume uh, often we don't even talk about, but they're expressions, but it also might be expressed in our literature, our arts, even our architecture mm-hmm. can be an expression of our culture. So when we think about culture, we want to think about these kind of shared beliefs and shared attitudes. But what happens, I think a lot of times is culture and skin color get collapsed on top of each other. And this is where we hear phrases like the black experience. Tell me about the black yeah. experience. So talk to us a little bit about about that issue and how do we decouple race and culture? Well, I think that, you know, as we've said, race or skin color is a piece of providence that helped, um, you know, for people to survive and to continue to exist, to be able to migrate. When we look at culture, where people set up and how people lived among each other created what we call now culture. And so I believe that certain cultures or not certain cultures, but I believe that culture is part of the providence of how we live among one another. Every culture has things that are beautiful and every culture has things that that are wicked and should be destroyed because every culture has image bearers and every culture has sin. Yes. Yeah. Yes. 
And so when I look at culture, when I think about culture, I see it as another form of providence in that it is how we survive in, an, in another sense. We have the physical sense of like nose shapes, eye structure, skin color, things that allowed more sun, things that helped, you know, protect you from the sun. Yeah. That was a, 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 a grace upon us from God, a provision and providence. Now, when I look at culture, you know, if we didn't, if we don't know how to have a common language, we look at the Tower of Babel. Yeah. The people were dispersed because they didn't have a common language. How were they to work together? Yeah. Well, now we have common language. We have common um, gestures that we all understand so that we can work together. When we see um, the, when we see acts, we see the reversal of the Tower of Babel and they're all coming together now. This is oh, on Pentecost. On Pentecost. Yeah, it that's helps good. to build more of a common culture. When we look at the early church, they had all things in common. It was a culture, but they weren't necessarily born into it. It wasn't their created identity. It was the provision allowed in that moment so that the that the the people could continue to go on and to thrive. That's so good because culture is so it sometimes can be very fluid. Sometimes it's very dynamic. And I think that you touched on, you know, in the early church there, people were coming on Pentecost from many different backgrounds. It has a whole list there in Acts 2 of where people were from. And so part of that was that they were Greek-speaking Jews, but they were also part of the Roman Empire. And they may have even had like a third culture of, you know, whatever their conquered people were, mm-hmm. you know, of their ancestors. So they bring all of that with them to Pentecost, get a new identity in Christ, and now they're almost creating this this other yeah. subculture as Christians. Now the black experience, as we hear this phraseology in our in our in our own country a lot, the conflation is, well, if you're black, if you have this much melanin, then you have this type of culture. Well, I think that same thing is true about whiteness. Yes. You know, if you're white, you have this kind of culture. Or you're told you have no culture. Or no culture, or Latinx, or Asian American. You know, whatever bucket you fall into, you are at times just assigned an identity or a culture. And that isn't always true. Culture many times requires agreement. Mm -hmm. And so, go ahead. So if African Americans might have... A culture, but if we're thinking about African immigrants to America, that might be different agreements. Yes. Uh, even though you share the same skin, skin color. color. So when you lived in South Africa, you were frequently um, identified, if people just looked at you superficially, as a colored person. Mm-hmm. But then the minute you open your mouth, they know, oh, wait. There's no agreement here. There's no agreement. There is no agreement here. <laughs> you're not. You're so not. When a I start to speak Afrikaans, there, there, there is no agreement with this child here. Yeah. No. But also, we can take African-Americans within America and say, well, Southern African-Americans, you know, in, in Southern, in the Southern region versus, you know, West Coast African-Americans. At times there are things that completely overlap, but yeah. at times there are things we, where we don't agree. We don't have agreement on those things. I might not have learned those, you know, certain cultural aspects. Yeah. Or let's say, you know, 
take me in, in, as an example, there are a number of Black people who, you know, support the idea of Black church, who support the idea of critical race theory, who support the idea of whiteness and, you know, the, the, the conversation around hegemony and all of that. And when I don't, I break agreement. Mm. And when I break agreement, some would say I am no longer participating according to Blackness or according to Black culture. But what we don't want to do is conflate skin color and say that every skin color color automatically has agreement with culture or that all people with the same levels of melanin think the same way that would be another way of saying the same yeah yeah yeah. so skin color doesn't have the same agreement so a white progressive in connecticut might be fairly liberal they might superficially look the same as someone a white person who lives in appalachia but they they think very differently Mm -hmm. so we don't want to conflate skin color with culture we want to kind of figure out like what culture does this person identify with and so that's where the identity theft i think happens is terms like whiteness or the black experience kind of makes it sound like all white people are the same all black people think the same that leads to a lot of problems yeah yeah and a lot of confusion a lot of confusion yes that's good so when we think about culture, we think about aspects of it might reflect the image of God. That's Those are things to be celebrated. But sin brings out wickedness. We collude in our wickedness. We collude in our sin and cultural practices there. So we're always, as Christians, kind of engaging in this very difficult enterprise of celebrating aspects of a culture, trying to discern what those things can be because they're compatible with Scripture but calling out aspects of culture that are incompatible with scripture. Yes, because scripture will always, the gospel will always change culture. Like when, when, when it's allowed, I'll say that the gospel is an offense to wickedness, to wicked culture. And so, yes, the gospel, and we should expect that, for it to change culture. Now, there are things that can be celebrated about a culture. And yet, I don't celebrate the things about a culture more than I celebrate the things about the kingdom. That's good. All right. So we're going to talk now about ethnicity. Yeah. And so we talked about race, Mm -hmm. culture, ethnicity. How do we decouple ethnicity from the conversation of race and culture? Because these things are really three distinct issues um, in looking at identity. But unfortunately, they they have been conflated. And now race and ethnicity are the same thing. Culture and ethnicity and race, they're all the same thing. But in reality, they're really not. Yeah. I think what was interesting to me, and we alluded to this earlier, is I went on the census Mm -hmm dot gov website to look up the the definition according to the government of ethnicity and it's so fascinating to me like the the definition is hispanic or latino that's one category or not hispanic or not latino Mm -hmm. that's how our government defines ethnicity so being latino or hispanic is not a race it's an ethnicity and so you and I, I guess we would both be in the not Hispanic or Latino category. So that, I don't know what ethnicity that is, but we are in the not bucket, yes, according to our government. But what I think is interesting 
and, and I've been reflecting about this. And like we said earlier, this has been such a long journey for us in thinking these things through. Lots of car conversations and that sort of thing. But the Greek word that is usually translated as nations in the New Testament is ethnos, mm-hmm. where we get the word ethnicity. But it does not mean anything like what our government says yes. is the definition. And so that, I think, also lends confusion because people read into that our own cultural understandings and they read nations and they automatically think of skin color or something, race, what we call race. So typically, biblically, and two great examples of this is Matthew 28, 19 and Revelation 7, where people from every nation, tribe, and tongue are there at the throne worshiping. The word for nation is is ethnos. And really what this is, is a, is a, a proof or an evidence that Matthew 28, 19 has happened. The gospel has gone out to the nations. Yeah. In other words, non-Jews. That that's basically what it is. Is the the two buckets from a from a biblical point of view are under the old covenant were Jew Gentile, Jew nations. You know, mm-hmm. those were the two categories. So we think in the category of black, white, or whatever our racial category is, but we're going to think biblically under the old covenant, we have to think about it as Jew Gentile or Jew nations. Under the new covenant, the two buckets are in Christ or in Adam. You know, are you near to the covenant or far to the, from the covenant? Yeah, I think um, even the, the the thought about nations is he's making one new people. Yes. You know, and so if we're one, from the nations, from the nations he, make, he makes one new people. Yeah. And so, yes, in Christ or in Adam, I think when people tend to talk about ethnicity and they wonder, well, you know, do what, what to my ethnicity would be like, what is the nation that you originate from? Yes. You know, and so that's where we get African American. Yeah. It's the the nation. If I if I were to go back in my history, what is the what is my nationality? Well, that can even be nationality, which is a whole nother That's conversation. A whole other thing. Yeah. That's a whole different conversation. That looking at that word nationality. Yeah. But ethnicity truly meaning ethnos nation. What 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 do you trace yourself back to? Yeah, and that brings up an interesting feature of the scriptures in how frequently it it. It, while it doesn't designate people according to race, skin color, mm-hmm. it does designate people according to their regional origin. Mm-hmm. Like it talks about the Samaritan woman in, in John chapter 4, Simon of Cyrene, or the Ethiopian, Ethiopian eunuch. eunuch, or you brought up Zipporah earlier of the Cushite. Mm-hmm. These are all regional origins. Abraham. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's, and so the question when we're running into these things in the scripture the critical question we need to ask is why is the author including this detail? Yes. That's the question. Often it's because we're supposed to think something about the person in terms of their proximity to the covenant. Hmm. The Samaritan woman, the reason we're tell- telling us about her being a Samaritan is we're supposed to understand something about her relationship with the Jews, but also her covenant proximity. And so a lot of times those details are there to tell us something about the covenant. Hmm. Um, not always, but there's there's a hint there that we're supposed to be alerted to. So 
Um, and I would say it's definitely true of Abraham when he's living out in the Ur of the Chaldees, worshiping the moon. What we're supposed to get from that is he was far from the covenant. Mm-hmm. He was far from the land and God plucks him out. So the, but it's not at all how we think about things in our culture. Yes. Our culture has so discipled us and conditioned us, programmed us that the first thing I see about somebody is their skin color. And then I react to them accordingly. And we've got some work to do to renew our minds uh, according yes. to scripture. So, so when we think about verses like Colossians 3 or Galatians 3, where it says there's no Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, but we're all now in Christ. We're all one. I think it's important to reflect like what it's not saying is that you're no longer a male or female. Mm-hmm. You, don't, you don't accept Christ and then wake up the next day and like your sex is is not there anymore. You're, yeah. That creation identity is still mm-hmm. there. Barbarian or Scythian, that's telling something about regional origin. It's telling mm-hmm. something about their background. I was I didn't you know come into the household of faith and then become clear. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So we don't want to fall into Gnosticism to say, well, these things no longer exist. Rather, what we are saying is that once we are in Christ, those things kind of take a bit of more of a backseat. They take a bit of a backseat. And we can understand that I am not judged, you know, or treated in in some kind of a harsher manner because of the color of my skin. Favoritism doesn't happen in in the church because of male or female or um, black or white barbarian or something Jew or Greek. Yeah, that's good. So those are our reflections on race, ethnicity, culture identity all wrapped into one i am gonna say one more thing okay while while it is important for us to make and you can tell me if you think this is crazy or not but one of the things that i think is important is that we don't just say well now we're all in christ so now there's neither jew nor greek black nor white and overlook injustice that may be happening to someone because they are a man or because they are a woman or because they are black or because they are a Jew or because they are white. Yeah. These are, 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 um, you know, physical traits and, and the things that can happen within society. And our providential isms, origins and mm-hmm. all of these things. Things that can cause others to discriminate against us. Racism, sexism, ageism. Like these things still happen. And we only are aware of that when we are aware of certain conditions within society or if I'm aware of the person's skin color that may be next to them, that may be next to us. You know what I mean? Does that make sense? Like- yeah. So let me give a couple of examples so people understand what you're saying there is like, I can only identify an injustice that's or a struggle maybe that in noticing the rates of suicide among middle-aged white men yeah. is escalating. If I notice who they are, yes. like if I'm noticing, hey, look what's happening in this group. Can we get curious as to why suicide rates are climbing at an alarming level for white middle-aged men? Or can we observe, you know, or at least ask a question about what's happening with my 
Asian brothers and sisters who are struggling with college entrance requirements. Mm -hmm. And it seems like discrimination is happening. Or higher rates of discrimination post COVID. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I think that, that we, we don't want to be, I don't, I don't want to use the word colorblind, but we want to be aware. You know, we don't just want to live and, and live from a place of, well, they said, you know, neither slave nor free. We're all one in Christ. We're all just one. Yeah. And so now I don't have to pay attention to anything. That is not what we're saying. What we're saying is that we don't participate with people from a favoritism or an essentialist mentality, but it is good to be aware of issues that may be impacting those who are in your congregation who may look like you and who may not look like you. Yeah, and maybe another way of saying it is that we're, we're not suggesting overlooking, um, let me say it this way, the spiritual reality that we are one in Christ doesn't eliminate or erase the physical providence of what God has created when, you know, when we were in our mother's womb. Mm-hmm. And we can notice those trends. We can look at them. We can inquire. We can ask questions. What's happening here? How are my brothers and sisters being affected? But that goes all directions. Yes. It's not just a white to black conversation. It's a people to people, people to people, Christians to Christians, Mm -hmm. you know, in all directions. Yeah. I I honestly believe then, you know, we can love each other better or, or well, you know, because I'll know what's happening with you. I'll see, you know, oh, I'll be or I'll be able to ask, oh, hey, you know, I know that this is going on. In culture. Yeah. You know, how are you dealing with that? Have yeah. You, how have you seen that? But I just think it allows for more room for us to be able to love each other well. So I wanted to hit on that and not just leave it with the, yeah. the conversation of, hey, we're all one. That's it. You know, that's all we got. Good. So all right. I, I think it's good. And and like I said, we've been in this journey for a while. Some some of these ideas might continue to um, make their own micro adaptations, you know, and and. But we wanted to share with with you because we have found that as we've done these this information, this content, um, when we're out and about and traveling, that's very helpful to people and giving some them some organizational hooks in their minds to to think about these things. And um, as we're just trying to find our way and in seeing, uh, bringing the word of God to bear on every inch of life, and and that's really what this is all about. So. Some of what we said is more solidly biblical. Some of it is like, this is our thinking ab- about this as of right now. That mm-hmm. could continue to to change. Yeah. yeah, but this is where we are. And we look forward to your feedback. If you have any thoughts or whatever, be sure to share them with us. and Leave a comment. Leave a comment. And thank you so much for wi- watching. Good night and God bless. Bye. Thanks for listening to All The Things. Be sure to subscribe to our website at allthethingsshow.com and find us on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, or wherever you stream your podcast. Be sure to hit that subscribe button and the bell so you'll receive alerts when we post new shows. We'll see you next week.